if you have a Bible or a Bible app, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That's where we're heading this morning in the sermon. We're in week six of the series called The Pursuit. You can find all these resources. If you missed any of the, any of the previous lessons, check it out at pursuegod.org forward slash go. This is our 12-week discipleship series that teaches you the essentials of Christianity. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian, these 12 lessons are, are going to be the answer to that. And today's lesson, week six, is the pivotal lesson in the whole series. Because everything we've been talking about so far pivots on today's lesson. And then everything we're going to talk about after this pivots on today's lesson. So it is the pivotal lesson because today we're going to talk about getting to your defining moment of faith. Today we're going to talk about how to become a Christian. Let me see some other ways to say this. We're going to talk about getting saved. We're going to talk about being born again. We're going to talk about becoming a Christian. Sometimes we call, at Alpine, we call it the define, you're having your defining moment of faith. Think about this for a second. What are some defining moments in your life? Old people, you guys have some, I'm sure. One of our defining moments, if you're married, one of your defining moments, this is your answer. One of your defining moments is that you got married, right? The day you got married was a pivotal moment. It was a defining moment in your life. Everything changed. Tracy and I got married 24 years ago. A couple weeks ago, we just celebrated our 24th anniversary. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. And, um, and so I still remember that day when we, we stood in front of our family and friends at, at a church and, and, uh, and a pastor led us through this and I said I do to her and she said I do to me and we put rings on our fingers and my twin brother sang a song that I wrote for her, which was a little bit awkward. Like that someone who looks just like me is serenading my new wife on our, so maybe I should have rethought that a little bit more. But anyway, it was still cool. We're good. Everybody, everything's good. Everything's good. It was, a, it was a defining moment for us because her name changed. Our lives totally changed. She had to put up with my weird sleep habits. Like I'm a sleepwalker and a sleep talker and a sleep imaginer. I do all kinds of weird things in my sleep. And she had no idea that that was going to happen. Because, by the way, young people, we did not move in together before we got married. We were sexually pure before we got married. So I want to encourage young people to do that. You can do that. You can do it, even though the whole world's doing something else. That's for another sermon. But it changed our lives. It completely changed our lives when, when, when we said I do to each other. But yet, that's not my most important defining moment of my life. That's my second most important defining moment. The number one most important defining moment of my life happened when I was six years old. I was six years old. I still remember I was in Naperville, Illinois, driving home from church with my mom and my, my siblings. And we were talking about what the lesson was in Sunday school that day. And the lesson was very similar to today's lesson. Just in a Sunday school way, you know, for a six-year-old. I remember we were on River. I don't have a very good memory, but I, for some reason I really remember this. We were on River Road. And we were driving along, we, we had just crossed the train tracks, and we'd stopped at a light, and my mom said, do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? That's another way to say it. Becoming a Christian, being born again, having a defining moment, asking Jesus into your heart was the way a six-year-old understood it. That's how my church explained it when I was young. Maybe you grew up in a church that was like that as well. And I remember six-year-old Brian 
I remember praying a prayer with my mom and asking Jesus into my heart. And that was the day that I was saved. And it's a good thing because I was heading on a path of destruction. I was a mean six-year-old. That's a little bit, supposed to be a little bit funny. Like, I was just a normal kid, but I took what I knew of me and I gave it to what I knew of Jesus. And the Bible says that that day, based on that verse that those students just preached on, that day I declared with my mouth, I believed in my heart, and that day I became a Christian. I was six years old. Now I want you to think about this in your life. If you're here today, do you have a day like that? The day when you became a Christian. Because going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You could go home and sit in your garage the entire week, and that won't make you a car. Just like going to church for your whole life won't make you a Christian. You're, you're not a Christian just because, young people, because you're filling out the ACT and, and, and it asks the question, what's your religious background, and you check Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. Just because you checked it on some survey doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is what that verse says, Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Believing in your heart and declaring with your mouth. And I did that when I was six. And I want to ask you, when did you do that? When have you personally made a response of faith for Jesus? And if you're here today and you're not sure what the answer is to that, I hope that today would be that day. But we got some things to talk about before we get to that. But that's where we're going today. We're going to end our service today by giving you an opportunity to do what I did when I was six years old. But let's cover some ground first. Here's the first thing you need to know. This is sort of a summary of everything we've done so far in this series, the first five weeks. If you missed any of it, here's your summary. Out of love, God sent Jesus into the world to solve our sin problem. We talked in the first few weeks of this series that God's motivation is love. He cares about us. We mat- people matter to him. We were made in his image. And so every single person matters to him, no matter who you are. You matter to God. God loves you. God didn't save you because he needed someone to hang out with. He needed a friend. God didn't save you because he has, he's missing, he's got a hole in his heart, and he's incomplete without you. No, God is very complete without us, thank you very much. God is not some insecure person. He is completely secure. He has, God has a relationship with himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God doesn't need you, that's not why he saved you. He did it because he loves you. And he loves me. He, does, he did it because we have value because he said so. We have value because we were made in his image. So out of love, God loves us. And because he loves us, which is pretty, a pretty empower, powerful motivator, because he loves us, he sent his son, God the Father sent his son into the world to die for us and to solve our sin problem, which we learned about last week. This, is a, this verse summarizes it so perfectly, 1 John 4, 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. You know, God could have rented one of those, those airplanes that writes stuff in the sky, right? He could have done that, and he could have just said, I love you all, I love you all. That would have been a lot less painful. That's not how he decided to show his love. He showed his love by doing something I still cannot fathom, sending his son to die for you even though you're all losers. Me too, I'm a loser too, we're all losers. He sent his son to die for us. Now I I have a son, 
And he's not a perfect, he's not a perfect guy. He's a good kid, but he's not a perfect kid. He frustrates us. He frustrates the heck out of us sometimes. Can I get an amen? Do you have sons and daughters? Anybody? Yeah. So I'm not the only one. All right. Yeah, parents, you can talk about this at home, why you said amen to that on the way home. Just be honest. Just be real. Have, a, have it out. That's good. But look, you all seem like good, pers- good people. I would not send my son to die for any one of you. You're not that good. You're not that valuable to me. I'm, I mean, not, no offense to all of you, but if I had to choose between you and my son dying, I would say, especially if this could be anonymous, I would say, I would like the other person to die, not my son. Because I love my son. And I, I love my son with a different kind of love than I love you. And you sh- I hope you feel that way about your kids. And I think that helps to give context to this verse that God, God wanted to, He wanted to find a way to show us how much he loved us, and so he sent his son to die in our place, which is crazy, because we're not good people and we're not worth it, and yet he sent his son to die for us. If you're a parent, I think that can just begin to show you how much God loves you. That's the first thing. Now, Here's the second thing you need to know. Before we give you an opportunity to respond in faith to Jesus, saving faith, becoming a Christian, requires two things. It requires the right information, which we've spent a lot of time working toward. We've been talking a lot about sin and Jesus and all this. It it requires the right information on one side, but it requires this other thing also, and and we call it, at Alpine, we call it having the right attitude. We, We spent several months thinking about what's the best word for this other thing that is required for saving faith, and we came up with the word attitude. We feel like that that is the best English word that describes it. The biblical word is repentance. Here's a picture for it. It's, it's two sides of the coin of saving faith. On the one side, you have to have the right info about sin and Jesus. You need to know you're a sinner. You need to know Jesus died for you. All the things we talked about in the last couple lessons. But how many of you know that you can have the right info and still not be saved? You can know all of the right information and still not be a Christian And here's a couple of examples. Satan knows more about Jesus than you do. Satan knows more about theology than any one of us in here. Satan has all of the right information, but Satan isn't saved because Satan doesn't have the right attitude. The demons, the Bible says the demons believe in God and shudder. The demons believe. All of Satan's minions believe in God. They know exactly who Jesus is. They know Jesus died on the cross. They know Jesus rose from the dead. They know that you're all sinners. And yet the demons aren't saved because they only have the left side of the coin. They don't have the right side of the coin. They have the right information, but they don't have the right attitude toward God or toward that information. Now the biblical word for that is repentance. And I love this This story in Acts chapter 2, it's Peter's very first sermon. Now last week we saw Peter's, I think it might have been his third or fourth sermon in Acts chapter 10. That's what we looked at last week. But the very first time he ever preached, Peter, was in Acts chapter 2. He preaches a sermon that was somewhat similar to what he preached in Acts chapter 10. He talked about Jesus and our sin and all those things. And at the end of his sermon, the Bible says this in verse 37, Peter's words pierced their hearts And the people listening said this, brothers, what should we do? 
And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That illustrates the heart that is required for salvation, the attitude that is required for salvation. Peter just filled their heads with all this great information about Jesus and sin and all this kind of stuff, and their response, notice their response wasn't, huh, that's really good, I'll think about that for a while. Their response wasn't, this, is, this was a great teaching, thank you, can you come back next week and give us some more teaching, this is great. Their response showed that something happened on the inside. Their, their response illustrates the attitude that's required for faith. It was almost like they couldn't help themselves. I, like I could see them being like, oh, what should we do? Like they were convinced in their hearts, they were convinced, and they were moved, look at this, they were moved to action. They weren't moved to thought. They weren't moved to intellectual assent. They weren't moved to just believing a bunch of facts. They were moved to action. They said, we want to do something about it. We want our lives to be changed. And Peter said, repent of your sins and turn to God. And that's the attitude of faith is repenting of your sins and turning to God. So these people were, before the sermon, they were facing this way. And then they started to to take in this information about Jesus and their sins. And something happened on the inside. It was miraculous. Something happened on the inside. And they, in their hearts, they turned a 180. They turned from their old way, and now they were turning toward Jesus and toward his way. And that, the biblical word for that is repentance. The Greek word is metanoia, which means a change of mind or also a change of heart, a change of attitude. And they were like, I was, I was oriented this way before, and now I'm oriented toward you. Notice, I haven't taken a single step yet. I haven't done a single good work yet. But my heart attitude now is toward you, and I want to go your way. I want to go Jesus' way. If you're here today and you've never responded in faith to Jesus, I want to ask you, do you have the right information about Jesus? You probably do if you've been coming to church for any length of time. But, the, but now, today, the more important question is, do you have the right attitude toward that information? Is your attitude one that says, God, I want to go your way? I want to turn from my way and I want to go your way. That's the attitude of faith. Number three, we are saved 100% by grace the moment we trust Jesus for salvation. Now, I'm a math guy. So this is a tech, when I throw math up there, this is a technical term. I don't take math lightly, people, okay? One of the things that really bugs me so much is when somebody says, I'm going to give 110% out there. Just don't, don't even say that, okay? Just give 100%. That's all I want is 100%. There's not 110%. Because if you can give 110%, why don't you give 111%? Why don't you give 150%? Why don't you give a bazillion percent if we're making up math names now, right? Just give 100%. That's it. That's all I want. Jesus, Jesus did 100% of the work for you and for me when he died on the cross and rose from the dead. 100%. And that leaves exactly 0% for you to do. If your attitude, if your attitude is, I want to bring 1% or 5% or 10%. If that's your attitude, I want to bring some of my good works 
to God, and I want to throw it in the pot, and I want to mix it in there and make a little grace stew, a little salvation stew, and that stew is 90% Jesus and 10% me, I want you to hear this, you don't have the right attitude toward God, and you also don't have the right information toward God, because you can bring 0%. The Bible says we are dead in our sins, and I don't know, if you're an employer, I would really recommend not to hire a dead person, because they can't work. Some of you might need to write that down. That was like mind-blowing. You're like, great, don't hire dead people because they can't work. The math is real simple. They will do 0% for you, 0%. And Jesus says, the Bible says, you were dead in your sins, and dead people can do 0%. Jesus is left to do 100%. That's why Paul said it like this in Ephesians 2.8. God saved you by his grace when you believed, and now we're going to do a little bit of English, okay? We did our math for the day. Now let's do, yeah, I know, it's, this is school. Now we're going to do some English. There's a period there. That's the punctuation. There's a period. Not a colon, not a dash, not a semicolon. God saved you by his grace when you believed, period. Done. You're saved when you believed. He did all the work, period. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. One of my favorite stories that Pastor Ross tells is when they were, they were out at a picnic and they were handing out water. And it was a hot day and they, were, they had a church booth out there. And it was up like a Pioneer Day or Fourth of July thing or something like that. And some, some family came up to him and, and they wanted to buy the water. If you, have you heard this story? They wanted to buy the water. And, and Pastor Ross said, no, you can't buy it. It's free. And the guy was like, well, no, I want to. I don't, I don't take free stuff. I want to buy it. I want to pay for it. He said, well, then you can't have it because it's free. You can't pay for it. And they argued and tussled for a minute there, and you could tell this was a spiritual conversation more than anything, right? And the guy walked away on a hot day without water because he was too proud to receive a gift. If your attitude is, no, Jesus, I want to pay for this, then you're not ready. You're not ready because it's a gift and you can't buy a gift. Jesus offers it to you. So check your heart and I hope today that you would say, I wanna receive that free gift. Now some of you might be saying, that's not my problem. My problem is on the other end of the spectrum. I'm not sure that Jesus really wants to give me this gift because I've done some really bad stuff in my life. So you're not self-righteous you're actually self-loathing the other end of the spectrum. And you're saying, there's no way, if you just knew, if you knew what I have done, I think you would say, oops, sorry, this message isn't for you. This is for, for all the six-year-olds, the innocent people, right? These are for all the people who haven't screwed up too much in their life. And I say, but you don't know how bad of a six-year-old I was, right? But this next point then is for you. No matter who you are or what you've done, your eternity is secure once you respond in faith to Jesus, no matter who you are or what you've done, there's nothing you could have possibly done that would put you outside of God's sphere of grace. Nothing, nothing. I love this verse, Romans 3.22. We've seen this, I think, three times now in this series. It's one of my favorite verses. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Notice the period again, period. Okay, so we see this 
over and over in the Bible like it's just by faith. If you bring a list, a checklist to God, it's not going to work. But I love this next verse. This is for the person who is self-loathing, who feels like you're too far from God. Paul writes, and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. There's no unforgivable sin that has put you outside of God's grace. In fact, the only unforgivable sin, I want you to hear this, the only unforgivable sin, the only sin that Jesus cannot pardon is the sin of disbelief. It's persisting in your disbelief until the day you die. That's the only unforgivable sin. It's just it's saying, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to trust in Jesus. I'm not going to rely on Jesus for my salvation. That's the only sin that Jesus can't do anything about. But you're here. You're alive. You're living. You're breathing still. You have a chance to respond in faith no matter what other sins you've ever committed in your life. You know, I love this verse because the guy who wrote this, Paul, called himself the chief of sinners. If anybody, if anybody would have thought that he was outside of God's grace, it would have been this guy. Paul said, I'm worse than any other sinner I've ever met because if you know Paul's story, he was persecuting Christians. He was killing Christians. He was working, actively working against Jesus in his self-righteousness as a religious Pharisee, a Jewish spiritual leader. In fact, he was on his way to persecute more Christians on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus. And Jesus basically revealed himself to him saying, hey, you're, you're the wrong one, actually. You're wrong. And the Christians you're going to kill are right. And Paul became a Christian and was used by God in a mighty way. So if, if God can reach the worst of sinners, he can reach you. Or maybe you've heard of the story of the thief on the cross. Here Jesus is on the cross dying and there's a thief on his right and a thief on his left and one of the thieves was mocking Jesus and the other one was saying, Jesus, I trust in you. I believe in you. Remember me in paradise. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. So see this thief on the cross, the one who had the right attitude, this genuine attitude of repentance, he was saved even though he didn't have any time left to do any good works. He was saved even though he had a really checkered past, obviously, because he's hanging on a cross. So he had done some pretty bad, seemingly unforgivable forgivable things, and yet he was, he was saved. Because, why? Because we are made right with God by faith. That's it, by faith, by trusting Jesus. It's crazy. It makes Christianity the most unique world religion. Because we're saved not by our works, we're saved by faith. How, how weird is that? How abstract does that seem? But yet that's what the Bible says over and over and over. And then on top of it, it's true for everyone no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. You, you cannot out-sin God's grace. You just can't do it. And that's a, good, that's a good thing. And so all of this finally then leads to this one last final thing that we saw in that video at the beginning with those young people talking about Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. And here's what that verse is really talking about. It's that we start a relationship with God by personally trusting Jesus for salvation. When I was six years old, I had to personally, six-year-old me, had to personally make a response of faith to Jesus. My mom couldn't do that for me. My siblings couldn't do that for me. I had to personally 
make a response of faith to Jesus. And I did that at six. And my life changed when I did that. The reason for that, again, is let's look at this verse one last time. The reason for that is because Romans 10, 9 says this. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, another, the translation I grew up with, the NIV says, if you confess with your mouth, confess means to, fess means to speak out, con means with, so confess means to speak out with God what God is already saying. So when I confess with my mouth, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm aligning my words with God's words. I'm aligning my words and my attitude and my heart with Jesus, and I'm saying, I agree that Jesus is Lord. I am saying with God, I'm saying with all the other Christians that Jesus is Lord. And when you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, Paul says this, you will be saved when you confess with your mouth, when you believe in your heart. Notice, it doesn't say, when your wife confesses with her mouth and you go to church with her, then you're gonna, you're gonna it's like a package deal. Like when, I, like when I go to, when I go to Costco. I don't have a Costco card. My wife has a Costco card. I, I hate this because I have to go to Costco with my wife. I can't just go into Costco and, and snack on things on Saturday by myself. I have to do it with my wife. So I walk in with my wife, and, and she flashes the card, and I'm just like, I'm with her, you know? <laughs> and they just let me in. It's, it's, one, it's great. Actually, the other day, she was already there. She said, hey, I need your help. So I need you to come over. So I had to devise a way to get into Costco without her coattails. So I was kind of hanging out by the shopping carts there, and I saw an unsuspecting woman about my age, and I just kind of followed in behind her, and I was just like, I'm with her, you know. (laughs) She had no idea, but I got in. That's That's not how heaven works. You can't, husbands, you can't be like, oh, I'm with her. She's the spiritual one in the family. I'm with her. She's the one with the card. She's the, she's the one who, who really reads her Bible. Husbands, you can't, you can't get in based on your, your wife's response of faith. Wives, you can't get in based on your husband's response of faith. Kids, you can't get in based on your parents' response of faith. It's not like a Costco card. Every individual, this is kind of a scary thought, but every individual has to personally make a decision, a response of faith. Nobody can do it for you. So young people, I want you to hear that if you're here today. And, I, and parents, I want to make sure you talk about today's message with your kids. But I want to make sure, parents, that you also have personally responded in faith to Jesus. The, what we don't want here at Alpine is for, is for people to think that they're a Christian because they're coming to church. We wanna make sure that everybody personally responds in faith to Jesus. Because the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I remember talking with a friend. I was, just, I was bringing him through a series like The Pursuit and, I, and we got to this lesson. We got to this very verse and he'd had all the right information in his head He'd get, he knew that he was a sinner. He knew that Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross. He had all the right stuff. And we got to this verse. And I was getting ready to pray with him. I was getting ready to pray a prayer with him. And this is kind of a pretty culminating moment whenever someone gets to this place. I was getting ready to do that. And I remember I just had him. I just read this verse. We were sitting at a D's. 
I literally, or village in, I literally just read this very verse to him. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And before I could say another word, he said, I believe that. And I've been sitting here the whole time thinking about how do I, how do I get him to say the words? How do I help him make a response of faith to Jesus? And it just dawned on me, he just did. He just did. He said, I believe it. It's kind of like what happened in Acts chapter 2. The people were, let, were just, they were just cut to the heart. They were peer, the words of Peter pierced their heart. And they said, what do we need to do? And this is what he was saying. What do I need to do? I believe it. And I'm like, I said, you just did it. You just did it. You just declared that Jesus is Lord. You just, you just confessed to me that you believe it in your heart, that God raised him from the dead. And I was able to tell my friend, that's it. You did it. Then we had some more conversations to have later on, which we'll be doing in this series, because it's actually the beginning, not the end of something. It's also the end of something. It's the end of your old way, it's the end of going that way, and it's, a, it's this new life that you're entering into, but for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about what to do in that new life, but that's for next week. For today, I want to give you an opportunity to respond in faith, like I did when I was six years old. And I'm going to put this up on the screen here, a sinner's prayer. And I'm going, to, I'm going to pray this with you. I want you to see what we're praying. And I just want to encourage you today, if you have never personally responded in faith to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that today. Young people, old people, husbands, wives, young adults, if you have never personally responded in faith, or if you're here today and you say, I'm not sure if I ever have, the only prerequisite is, do you have the right info about Jesus and your sin? And do you have the right attitude, the attitude that says, God, I want to go your way? If that's, if that's where, you, where you are today, if you can say yes, yes, I want to, what do I do? What do I do, pastor? What do I do? This is what you do. I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, and just in your own heart, in your own heart, I, I want to invite you to pray this prayer. Just say, Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross and that you rose from the dead so that I could have life. I'm turning from my sin now and I'm turning to you in faith. I trust in you alone to forgive my sin and to give me new life. Thank you for this free gift. Amen.